this week's edition of the Adam Schefter Podcast, we are joined by the former Browns head coach, Hugh Jackson, who describes what it's like for an NFL head coach to be fired as he was last week. And we're also joined by the Bengals offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor, who has helped turn around Cincinnati's offense and leads the Bengals into this weekend's matchup against the New Orleans Saints. But first, we are joined by the great Chris Mortensen, my dear friend, who took some time to look back at the first half of the NFL season and discuss what he expects to see in the second half of the season. All right, Mort, we last had you on week one of the NFL season. We're now about midway through the NFL season. So I have to ask you, what stands out to you about what you've seen the first half of the season? That you haven't asked me since week one to be on your podcast, okay? I mean, that's really what stays. It's like I say, I say, I got one, a few, a few people left standing in the building that maybe, you know, I, I thought would believe in me a little bit, but obviously week one, okay, now. I'm trying to limit season. your obligations there, oh, okay. my friend. I'm we trying just, to limit your obligations. Well, here's the thing. Uh, you know, I, I want to go to, uh, I'm going to bypass the Rams and Saints for a minute and go to what we saw Sunday night against between the Patriots and the Packers. And a lot of people out there have seen the movie Grand Torino. Uh, Clint Eastwood directed and starred in it. And some people didn't like it because they felt there were some racial undertones. But if you really look at it, it's just a glimpse at of humanity uh, at its best and its worst and then ultimately at its finest uh, in many ways. But there's a, a point there where uh, the Clint Eastwood character tells the uh, Hmong char- character that uh, Tao, who's just trying to get away from the gang life, and, and and he wants to be an honest carpenter to earn a little bit of money to put in his pocket and and, and be a good American. And uh, so he didn't have any tools, didn't have the money to buy any tools, and Clint Eastwood goes in his garage, and Eastwood is a... Korean war vet and uh, and he goes in there and he you know, Tao had lost his tools that he had bought because his gang beat him up and broke them all so he had nothing left what am I going to do so he basically I think he hands him a wrench uh, a screwdriver uh, maybe some pliers and some duct tape he says here you can do anything with this, this you can do anything with this and so when I watched the Patriots last night on Sunday night, I said, Bill Belichick can do anything with whatever is left in his toolbox and still beat <laughs> you on a, on a on a big game when Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. He has Tom Brady, but he has, a, he has some duct tape. He has a wrench. He has a screwdriver, and he's going to make it work. So Cordero Patterson is that duct tape, and James White is that – Wrenching. Well, yeah, I'm just saying it could be anything. You know, Gronk's out again, and and we know he. Listen, so Sony Michelle's out. Yeah, it's and and then it, you know there are still some things that are tried and true in this league. One of them is, is that you know, listen, look at what do you have? What's in your inventory? You've got to make this work, so make it work. But then you also have the genius. That, I'll go back to original. The genius of a young Sean McVay, not the. Wisdom and experience and expertise of a of a veteran Bill Belichick who comes in this league and just creates something that is just you know it's like it's it would be like Steve Young saying this it's it's like a symphonic a symphony I mean I'm sorry uh, watching a, a, you know somebody direct this and then you still go back to something old something new and something old is Sean Payton and Drew Brees too. You know, doing something along those lines that we say, man, there's still something to marvel at. And then I think there are some people who just go unappreciated in this league, like Ron Rivera, what he's doing with the Carolina Panthers. We take it for granted. Or Cam Newton. I go back to Nick Saban at Alabama, who's basically has stated that two best players he's faced uh, since he's been at Alabama has been Cam Newton and Deshaun Watson. And he hasn't really over, he never overstates anything, but we watch him come in the league and I'm not saying they're the best players in the league, but something, you know, something that's wonderful. Uh, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. Yeah. There's such a thing as a Super Bowl hangover. We've talked about it, you and I, and I think they know, but I'm not counting them out going on in the second half because hmm. I see some things developing there. 
We'll see if that's true or not. What am I leaving out? Well, it's interesting because you brought up the Patriots, you brought up the Saints, you brought up the Rams. You didn't mention the Chiefs, which is fine. We we all know how good they are. But you mentioned to me two teams that I think are interesting in the sense that I think to a large degree people have looked at the Chiefs and the Patriots and the Saints and the Rams, two teams in each conference, and said these are the four best teams in football. And I think for the first half of the season they have been, except you brought up Carolina and you brought up Philadelphia, and those are two teams in addition to I think maybe Minnesota that can – kind of ruin that party and get some momentum going in the second half of the season and make some waves of their own. Yeah, I didn't want to waste uh, my full allotted time uh, <laughs> without taking a breath before I... Uh, it was very impressive how no, long you spoke there, Mort. No, no I, and I agree. I agree with all of that. And by the way, you know, that I forgot the Chiefs is kind of laughable because, <laughs> I mean, that was like, you know, they were as entertaining as anybody you could see. I mean, it's a marvel to watch Pat Mahomes. Listen, it's a tribute to Andy Reid, too, as well. And, you know, for John Dorsey, who's down Cleveland, who helped put that together. But to see, see, to see what they're doing is, is, is wonderful. It's, uh, uh, so I'm talking, but you know, at the same time, you know, do I cringe at the, the lack of fundamental football and, mm. and tackling and, you know, uh, you know, the importance of offensive line play, the ignorance of, you know, some of us forget that it is, it is still the ultimate team game. Uh, you know, you can have, you know, great quarterbacks. It's spectacular. You, we know you have to have a quarterback. That's given, but it's, it's still a team game. You can't, you can't run an offense without an offensive line doing something. You don't think Dante Scarnecchia, the offensive line coach of the Patriots, is is genius worthy and Hall ge- of Fame worthy? Actually, he would cringe if, at the word genius. He wouldn't like that we're talking about him in this podcast. No, he wouldn't. But what I'm saying is that you know, guys, the offensive line coaches, the real good ones in this league, they they coach a team unto itself. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, there's some teams we shouldn't forget about down the stretch here, like Philadelphia. What happens if? This offensive line plays together. What happens if their defense is playing a little bit better? Carson Wentz, barring injury, is going to about to light it up, I think. You think so, huh? I could be wrong. What makes you think well, that? Golden well, Tate? I think he truly is one of the top yeah, five quarterbacks player. in the league. You know, I think he's a great quarterback. But, but I think that they, you know, I think, I think the Golden Tate trade, which I wasn't sure about, but just having, Maybe talk to a couple people. I I think that we'll we'll see if it kind of renews their or energy with the bye week, the win in London against Jacksonville, and then the addition of Tate. Uh, does it help energize them in that that hangover is over with? And, uh, and and do they have a chance to make a run? I mean, when they play the Rams on December sixteenth, uh, you know they've been to the Coliseum. And lost once in the in the game, and actually still won there. Now it's not the same Rams team; it's a better Rams team. But I, I'm not counting them out at all. But uh, you know, this is in in the Vikings. I'm glad you mentioned them, you know, because I, I kind of forgot about the Vikings. Yeah, and I think that a team with a defense like that is always, I think, relevant and pertinent. Who was your preseason Super Bowl pick? I didn't pick. I, I, you know, this year I I tell people who ask on the record who they who they are, but I, I just said, well. This year, I didn't even in my own mind go through it and pick it. I think, I think I probably would have said the Ravens and the, uh, and the Saints. No, I, I'll say this. It, it crossed my mind that the Ravens and the Saints, if I, if I was really going to put something down on paper. I picked the Jaguars and the Saints. Okay? okay. So now that we're at the halfway point, and now that you didn't take a preseason prediction, I'm going to give you this opportunity right here, right now, Mort to make your midway point of the season Super Bowl prediction, and I've given you the benefit of the first half of the season seeing that. So who, who's going to be in Atlanta in the first Sunday in February? Well, I will I will say the Patriots and the Saints. Patriots and the Saints. And that would be a matchup. And I, I, have, and I have, and by the way, and if I'm wrong, you're allowed to be wrong. What? I, 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 who really cares? <laughs> well, listen, I always think it's, who are you? Who are you picking at right mid-season? now? Uh, I would say I would pick the. Boy, it'd be hard to pick against the Patriots, right? Well, it, it, it'd be it's almost ridiculous to pick against them. And, and I and, and listen, I get caught up in the whole mantra of boy, they had such an easy run through the AFC East, but they've beaten the Chiefs this year. 
You know, they just beat, I, I know the Packers were missing people and, and having people thrown out that maybe shouldn't have been thrown out, but it doesn't matter. They, they find, they found a way. And we, we did know that when they were 0-2, they were, they were going to come back out of 0-2. And they did. And they, see, here's the thing. When you pick the Patriots, you're picking history. You're picking tradition. You're picking experience. It's the wisest pick that you can make. That doesn't mean the Chiefs won't go to the Super Bowl this year. The Steelers won't come on and make a the, run. The Chargers, any one of them is capable. It, they could get hot. And let me say this about the, that pick because of the Chiefs. If the Chiefs actually, you know, should get home field advantage, which is no guarantee, you know, they, they, they've lost at home in the playoffs before, but I do want to see their, their de- I want to see Justin Houston come back. Obviously, you'd like to see Eric Berry come back. I think they're a little bit better on defense at times. They're, they're pretty fast over there on the defensive side. So, I mean, I'm not ru- ruling them out at all. No. If I have to make a pick, I don't know how I, I can sit here and make a pick against the Patriots based off history. history. But, but, but you bring up the Chiefs at home, and they would be tough to beat at home. And, and they have had a losing playoff history. I've been at their postseason losses when – Elvis Gerback didn't get it done against Denver when they were playing the Colts. They were, I think, 13 and three in like 1997. Jim Harbaugh went in there and beat them. And last year they lost to Tennessee. But the only difference this time is the quarterback. The quarterback is different. There have been so many playoff chokes at Arrowhead for that team. But yeah, you're correct. I mean, and Pat Mahomes is going to get better. See, that's, that's kind of the scary thing for people. He should get better. And, and already you, uh, you see him doing certain things like not floating out of the pocket quite as quickly and, and stepping up in the pocket. And now if they stay healthy, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I would never say don't ca- forget the Chiefs. You know, Andy Reid's never won a Super Bowl. Andy Reid's one of the greatest coaches in the history of the NFL. Hall of Fame coach in okay? my mind. My, me too. Well, so we agree that the Patriots would be the pick, but the Chiefs cannot be ruled out if they're at home and have home field advantage. One other thing, by the way, and and the most intriguing team of all is is just intriguing for different reasons. Is the, are the Chargers? I mean, I mean, they can't kick an extra point. No, but Philip Rivers now has his 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 stretch here going. Uh, and I I do kind of know this, uh, and I've always sensed it because of that the stadium they play at, the StubHub Stadium in Carson, California, near my old hometown of uh, Torrance. Uh, I would say this. Uh, you know, going on the road, they feel like they're on the road at home, only they're playing against 30,000 know, fans who don't want them to win. Going on the road, it's just, it's more exciting to them, energizing to them, but ultimately, it's still not easier to win every game on the road. Well, you made that point yesterday. I thought it was a great point that the Chargers sometimes might be better off playing on the road, and we'll see whether that holds up in the postseason. So we got the AFC out of the way. The NFC, you're going to pick the Saints to go to the Super Bowl right now for whatever that's worth. For whatever that's worth. I mean, do I do I like the Rams a lot? Yeah, yes. I do like the Rams a lot. But uh, if this, if yesterday, and by the way, the Saints schedule is tough. They, they still got to beat Atlanta and Carolina a couple times. Yep. But they just got on the road and beat Baltimore when Baltimore was hot, and, and they beat them in the elements, and they went to Minnesota and beat Minnesota, and they just beat the Rams. So, you know, I'll, I'll stick with that for now. In fact, I don't have to stick with it. It's the first time I even said it. Well, the Saints were my preseason pick, so I'll stick with them. But I will say this, that the Rams, I still think, could get home field advantage. And I think it would be tough to win in Los Angeles in January for anybody. Although the home field advantage for the Saints is, I think, the biggest home field advantage there could be. Carolina, people are overlooking, as you rightfully pointed out, and have been very good. And Philadelphia still could come on here, right? right. Yes, very much so. And, and, and the Falcons are going to be a factor, but I don't know if they're going to be a- a team that ends up in their own stadium in February. So, so we got the whole first half and second half all figured out. We'll see how it now plays out. And Mort, you're invited on the podcast anytime. I don't have to. I was actually kidding. I, I, I know, but I'm just telling you, you know that anytime. I'm just trying to limit your obligations there, Mort. <laughs> yeah, but learn how to say no or just ignore Shefty. <laughs> Thanks for being with no, me today, Mort. Love you. Love you too. We'll be back in a moment with Hugh Jackson. But first, I want to tell you about 1-800-Flowers.com. Every year, the holidays remind us that our friends and loved ones mean everything. So on their birthdays and anniversaries, go above and beyond with a beautiful bouquet of autumn roses from 1-800-Flowers.com. These gorgeous roses in warm shades of red, orange, and yellow are the most radiant you'll see all year. Autumn roses from 1-800-Flowers are the best way to brighten your friend or loved one's day. And right now, 
1-800-Flowers is giving my listeners an exclusive 36 for 36 offer. 36 autumn roses for $36. That's only a dollar per rose. I've gotten bouquets for loved ones in the past, and the reaction always has been incredible. People love them. A bouquet of autumn roses is the perfect gift that'll bring smiles for fall and Thanksgiving celebrations. They'll show your friends and loved ones just how much they mean to you around this special time of the year. Autumn roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. 36 Autumn Roses for $36 is an amazing limited-time offer. For bouquets guaranteed to make her smile, choose 1-800-Flowers. To order 36 Autumn Roses for 36 go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter the code ADAM. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code ADAM. Hurry, offer ends Friday. All right, Hugh, so basically we are recording this at 11 a.m. on Monday, November 5th. And it was about this time last week that the Cleveland Browns let you go. So here's my question. A lot of people wonder, including me myself, what's it like to be relieved of your duties as a head coach in the NFL? How does this happen, and what is the process like for you? It's hard. Uh, at the end of the day, it's uh, it's like a, a death. You know, again, when two men come into your office and basically tell you that they're moving forward without you, um, when you didn't see it coming, I think it's hard. But at the end of the day, after having conversations with them and me taking a step back, I get it. At the end of the day, just didn't win enough games. So you have to move forward. When you say two men walk into your office, I presume Jimmy Haslam, the Browns owner, and John Dorsey are the two men who walk into your office? Absolutely. And you're not expecting them at that point in time? They just walk in? No, I was not expecting them at that time. I had met with the you know, with the staff, we talked about the last Pittsburgh game. I knew that normally we had another meeting. I had a meeting with John and Jimmy later on around three o'clock that was already scheduled. So that's what I was looking forward to. And for them to come in at the time they came in, I was not expecting that. Now you say that initially it didn't make sense to you, but you take some time away, step away, and you understand some things. What did they say to you? What have you processed since then that it does make some sense to you, Hugh? Well, I think the most thing, the biggest thing, as I just said, Adam, is that uh, I didn't win enough games in my time in, in uh, Cleveland. Uh, regardless of uh, what the circumstances was, I have to take responsibility and ownership of that first. You know, that was my responsibility to get the organization to winning, and I wasn't able to pull that off. It surprised you, but with the record being what it was, Hugh, was there any other point that you went into work in the morning and wondered, I wonder if this could be the day? No, there, I, I honestly had no thought that th- that could be the day. You know, at the time, we were 2-5-1, and one, uh, had been in four overtime games, so very close to could have had a record that would have been, you know, at worst 5-2-1, and two and one, you know. So that didn't work out that way. We didn't make those plays, and that's my job again, as I said, as the head coach, to get our team to do that. Mm-hmm. So, But I didn't have a feeling that this was going to be the day because – the record at the time was better than anything I had prior to, you know, so I thought maybe I'll be able to see this through and and maybe be able to come out the other side of it. So they walk in and how long are they in there uh, to give you this message? Well, it was a a message that lasted about, you know, five minutes with them both. And then I took some time myself with Jimmy because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to make sure that I had a clear understanding of what he was saying and exactly where he was coming from because I had the longest relationship with him and I thought that was important to do. And so once they relieve you of your duties, what do you then do? Uh, How do you spend the rest of the day? What does a person do in that situation? (laughs) Well, it's hard. You know, I went down the hall and said bye. I I remember saying bye to Greg Williams. I remember going downstairs and saying bye to uh, the medical team, Joe Sheehan and that staff and Simon Galen, who's been like my right hand person there. You get in your car and there is a lot of different emotions that that are running through you as you're driving home. You know, you know, and the biggest question in your mind is, why did this happen? And you keep driving until you get home and you're, you're a ball of nerves and you get home and then everything just kind of explodes at once because your whole uh, routine, your whole process has totally changed. So when you look back on that, Hugh, what's the one thing that you'll remember about that day? What's the takeaway 
when we go through these life-altering experiences that you always will remember about that afternoon? Uh, the Probably the thing that I will remember the most is that it's not the end. You know, really, um, you can, a lot of people, I think, take it as the end, but it might be the beginning of something, you know, even better. You know, obviously it's hard. Uh, you don't want to accept the, fa- the facts or the things that are said to you. Um, but you understand that this is part of the process in the National Football League, that you have to be strong enough and tough enough to move forward. And I'm not going to let anybody stop me from attaining my goals and my dreams, that I was very appreciative. I thought it was a privilege and an honor to be able to be called one of 32 head coaches in the National Football League, working for the Cleveland Browns, because I think it's a historic organization. But at the same time, maybe this just wasn't my there wasn't the right opportunity for me. And you have to learn from this, take something very positive from it, learn from this situation and move forward. So what do you take from that situation? Well, what I took from it the most, that is the most important thing I think in any organization is winning. And I think it's producing winning. And I don't think you ever, you know, go into a job, not feeling like you can't win because if you do, that's truly what it's all about. I also took from it that the first two years of, you know, doing things differently, you don't get those back, you know, because people, that's what people will remember, you know, when things don't go as well in the beginning, because maybe you have a different type of plan that you're trying to accomplish. People remember those things. They don't release you from those things because, you know, you're into year three, they will recall those. And so I think, you can never put yourself in a situation where you don't have a chance to be the best version of yourself as you continue to move forward. You mentioned that there may be something better. So what is next for Hugh Jackson? Well, I think again, um, you know, when I think about it, Adam, I think, you know, one of the things I'm very passionate about is, is running offense of football teams and leading men. Um, I would love to go back and be a coordinator in the national football league again, I'm going to spend this time that I have right now trying to find ways to strengthen strengthen myself as a a coordinator as I move forward. There's so many changing concepts in the National Football League. I want to go and be around some of the better college programs and see how they're doing things because I think the National Football League is slowly transitioning into those things because of the quarterbacks that are coming into the league. I'm going to do everything I can to make myself better, but I truly believe that there's another coordinator uh, position opportunity out there for me. And so you would like to do that as early as next season, correct? Be an offensive coordinator? Oh, absolutely. You know, again, I, I would. And I wouldn't, you know, I'm not going to run from the opportunity to sit in a head chair again, neither. I know I can do it. I, there's no question in my mind that I can. I know my record doesn't say that, and rightfully so. I, I get it. But I know that I can go coordinate offenses in the National Football League tomorrow. In uh, if given an opportunity, what would you bring to a team as a head coach again or as a coordinator? I think I bring obviously a well-rounded skill set of having been a, a head coach and play caller at one time in this league, but more so being the play caller, understanding the chair that the head coach sits in. I think uh, that's first and foremost to be a support and somebody that can really help and take that pressure off that side of the ball for the head coach, because I think that's really important. Having been in that chair, you always worried about, you know, the offense, defense, and special teams. So you have to have people that you can trust, people that have the same vision that you have. And I would want to be with somebody that we do have a like-minded vision that way, because I think I can make that a reality. Here, the Browns played the Chiefs on Sunday, and that was your first game not coaching for the Browns here in a little while. What was that Sunday like for you? Did you watch the game? Did you think of the game? What was the day like for you? It was hard. Uh, that morning was hard. I, I mean, this has been hard period. I mean, ever since this has happened, I'm, I've never been in a situation where I did not have work uh, to get up to. My routine has totally changed. How I go about my yeah. day has totally changed. So it's really different, and it's affected me in a lot of different ways. You know, but there's you got to see the positives in it. Uh, the best you can. Um, Sunday is was the hardest day because that's game day. That's when all the work you do all week, you know, that's when you get a chance to go showcase that. And I was able to make it through. I didn't watch it in its entirety. I heard about it. I would look at it every now and then. I would walk away from it. 
Uh, I wanted the best for the players because I truly believe in a lot of the young men that they have there, what they bring to the table. But it was a different type of Sunday for me. Was that a conscientious decision not to watch the full game, or did it just happen that way? No, it was a conscientious decision. I didn't want to. I mean, I just, again, when you're in those situations, it's hard to sit there and watch something that you've wanted to build and accomplish and watching it go for, you know, go on without you, you know, that that's just hard. I think that's the human side of it that you try to do the things that make you happy and don't, you know, put yourself in the situations and things that don't. And I just think yesterday would have been hard for me to sit there and watch everything that was going on with the football team. You go from basically working around the clock, which is required of being a head coach to having this free time. So how do you fill this free time? Because as you mentioned, your routine is disrupted your life is entirely different when something like this happens. How have you filled yes, that time? <laughs> yes, it is. You know, I think the first thing you do is uh, you you really look back on the things that you have faith in. You know, I have faith in my ability to coach. I have faith in my ability to uh, lead men and to help young men be the best they can be. That's first and foremost. Second, I think you really dive into the family time. You do everything you can uh, to be there for your family. I'm doing things I've never had an opportunity to do before with my family. And I think that's uh, what you have to take the time to do. I think the next thing is, is that you, you got to make sure that you're okay, that you're processing all of this information that has happened over the last several days the right way, you know, because if you don't, I think you can get into a little dark hole there, you know, so I've done everything I can to stay positive through it to really learn and try to grow from it uh, so that I can come out the other side of it and be better than I've ever been. You mentioned getting the opportunity to do things that you would never get to do with your family. Like what? Take your daughter to school, you know, uh, be able to read a book to her at nighttime when she's time for her to go to bed, help with homework, you know, help with work around the house. I've never had an opportunity to do any of those things because I've normally been working uh, at that time. How old is your daughter, Hugh? My my uh, daughter's nine. Yeah. See, people have no idea. Well, I mean, they do. They think they know, but they don't really know that when you're coaching, you're gone. I mean, you're not a part of your family. It's a totally no, different not. experience. Absolutely. You know, it is. And I don't think, you know, again, it's a, it's a commitment and a sacrifice, you know, on both parts uh, that one has to make. I don't think, you know, everybody's um, equipped to be a head coach's wife or girlfriend or anything or a coach's wife for, for that matter, uh, let alone a parent on top of that. I just think you have to have the right um, mindset. You have to have the right person in order to be able to do these things or you couldn't do it. How does this experience, what you've gone through over the course of the last week, compare to the experience you had after the Raiders let you go? You know, the experience at the Raiders was totally different. Um, you know, and I thought after that situation, I would be prepared for anything. Uh, this one, th this one felt different because that at least was at the end of the year. This one is kind of mid-year, you know, after eight games, someone's telling you you're not very good at what you've done. So we're going to move on. So that was hard. Uh, that was really hard to swallow. I mean, I wanted every opportunity to finish it out and um, be able to see if I could help and make things better. Um, I have to respect the, the decision that the organization made. They made a choice and decision to move forward, and I have to respect that. Um, but I think uh, this situation is probably a little different, a little harder to deal with than, than the Oakland situation was. I remember when the Denver Broncos fired Josh McDaniels at a similar time of the year, and he later was brought on to the Patriots coaching staff for the postseason. Would you be open to joining a staff this season? to contribute in some type of way? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. If there's uh, somebody who I know and trust and respect, um, felt like they needed me to help or to do something for them, you know, along the lines of assisting in any way that I can to help them be as good as they can be on game day, I would do that in a heartbeat. Has anyone reached out to you to give you any idea that something like that would be a possibility this season, Hugh? I, I would not like to speak on that at this time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Josh thing just always stood out to me because it was so unusual that you don't usually hear coaches being brought aboard another staff in season. Do you now root for the Browns going forward, Hugh? 
I always will. I mean, again, um, just because of what happened with me and it didn't work out, there's so many great people there. The players I have a lot of respect for, the coaches. So I will always root for them, you know, because I, I want to see the organization uh, turn. I really do. I mean, I went there as many coaches have gone there before me to do everything they can to try to turn the organization around. I wasn't able to get it done. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of coaches lined up after me that's going to try to do the same things, and I I wish them well. I hope that it it does turn because the fans deserve it, the players deserve it, and the organization deserves it. Why hasn't it gotten done there? Well, I think, again, you know, um, I can only speak from my experience that, you know, again, it has to be, um, everything has to be aligned correctly, you know, in order for things to work. Uh, You all have to be chasing the same vision. And again, not that we wasn't. I just think it all has to fit right. You know, in in my situation, I just think there's things, you know, in hindsight, you look back, you wish you would have did different. But as you know, when you're in real time, you can't look in hindsight. So, it is what it is, and, and you have to just keep moving forward. What's one thing you would have done different? Well, I've said it, and I'll say it again. When I look back now, for me, I would have never given up the opportunity to run the offense um, like I always have. You know, I just, uh, for some reason, I thought it would be better to have someone else come in from the outside and take that responsibility off of me because it was asked that maybe you you need to, you know, be the CEO head coach, you know, in this situation. And I think when you look at, you know, 1-15, 0-16, you know, the fans didn't really know exactly what we were doing, how we were doing it. And so I think they were in a place where they got tired of seeing a Hugh Jackson offense where when I really never got a chance to run my offense. Wow. So I, what I was trying to do is do everything I could to quiet the noise, but also put us in a situation where there was something positive going forward and when I look back at that, you know, I wish I never would have made that choice and decision. Can you, as a head coach, have enough time to basically run the offense and run a football team together? No question. You can't. I've, I've done it. You know, I've done it in some very tough situations and circumstances. And I know if you organize and if you detailed and if you have the right people with you, that there's no question that you can do it. Hmm. And you talk about the Browns and what it's going to take to turn around. Obviously, there's a lot of focus and attention, and rightfully so, on Baker Mayfield. How good can he be and will he be, Hugh? He can be really good, and I think he's going to be really good. I just think, um, you know, obviously he's the first pick of the draft for a reason. He has all of the physical tools that you need. Um, He can throw it. He can throw on the run. He can throw with touch. He's pinpoint accurate. But again, as every quarterback is in the National Football League, they're only as good as the people that you surround them with. And I think the more talent that John Dorsey and the organization will continue to put around him, uh, the more he grows in this league, I think the better he's going to be. But I think the sky's the limit for him. Does he remind you of anybody that you've watched during all your years in the NFL? You know, I mean, stature-wise, I mean, people are going to say Drew Brees, and I'm not saying he's Drew Brees by any stretch of the imagination. Drew Brees has done it and done it at a high level for so long. But I would not be surprised if, you know, 10, 15 years from now, we're not having that conversation about uh, Baker Mayfield in his future. As a Drew Brees-type quarterback? Absolutely. And why do you say that? Because he has that he has that mentality. I mean, he has something special about him that only a few of these guys who play that position have. I mean, he has the it factor. Now it hasn't led to wins yet, you know, outside of the couple that the organization has, but I think that's also part of what the culture has been, you know, and I think he'll overcome that. And I think they need to overcome that quickly for him just because you don't want that seed to be planted in him about the losing because he's not that kind of young man. So I think they will in the future, as I said, John Dorsey and the Haslam's, they will do anything and everything they can to help that organization uh, get to winning as fast as they can. And Hugh, you talked about what a tough time this has been the last week. You're relieved of your duties after being on that job for almost three seasons. You took over as the Browns coach in January of 2016. Is there anybody that reached out to you or offered words of support or solace that meant something to you that will always stay with you in the past week? Oh, there's been so many. Uh, I, I can't even begin to count and they all will stay with me because I think people have seen, you know, a lot of people try to climb the mountain here and it hasn't happened. 
and me being no different, you know, and I think truly what, what I will take from it is that, like guys said, Hugh, you were a good coach when you walked in that door, you know, and it's three years after, and there's a lot of experience that you've gained on top of still being that same coach that walked in the door. So, uh, as I said earlier, there's been a lot of great coaches that have walked through here, um, came out of here, and, and maybe people didn't see them as, as being who they were. And you look at those guys now, and I would think it would be no different for myself as I move forward. Hey, Hugh, I want to thank you very much for taking the time today. Wish you a lot of luck with whatever it is going forward. Adam, I appreciate that so much. Thank you. We'll be back in a moment with Bengals offensive coordinator Bill Lazor. But first, I want to tell you about ZipRecruiter. There are job sites that send you tons of the wrong resumes to sort through. That's not smart. But you know what is smart? Going to ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP to hire the right person. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. It's powerful matching technology, scans thousands of resumes, identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience for your job, and actively invites them to apply so you get qualified candidates fast. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com. Slash ASP. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter.com slash ASP. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Bill, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. How was the bye weekend? Wonderful. We had a big, uh, big daddy-daughter dance at the elementary school. So it was me, my nine-year-old daughter, my five-year-old daughter. We went out for ice cream, and then we went to the dance. So That's pretty awesome. Good. Pretty cool. That's it worked a- out good that it was that weekend. I discussed this with Hugh Jackson earlier in the podcast, but people don't understand. I mean, they know, but they don't know the sacrifices that coaches oh, make. Yeah, yeah. You got to you got to do a great job of <clears throat> making the most of whatever time you have. If it's a Saturday afternoon, if it's you know Friday after after school time, you just you got to make the most of all of it. So it just it worked out well that, that for my daughters, it fell on this weekend. And do you get to sleep in on a Sunday or something like that? Oh so- yeah, we had a lot of we made. Chocolate chip pancakes on Saturday morning and chocolate chip waffles on Sunday morning. <laughs> so it was big, big breakfast weekend. Everyone enjoys when Dad's home for breakfast, which isn't very often. Not often. Yeah. So we we made the most of it, and uh, of course scrambled eggs to go with it. A little bacon. My wife doesn't eat meat, so I'm there for the bacon. <laughs> very nice. Uh, very nice. No, it was it was a good weekend. We 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 slept, relaxed. Of course, then on on Sunday I, I did watch I did watch some games. So my 13 year old boy likes to likes to watch him with me. So so what do you watch you know, on Sun? What did you watch with your son on Sunday? We watched uh, most of the Pittsburgh Ravens game because we got the Ravens in two weeks. We watched most of, if not all, of uh, the Saints Rams game because we have the Saints this week. Yeah, and then I watched a little bit of the night game. Eventually, I went to sleep. I didn't, I, I couldn't make it through the end of it. What did you see when you're sitting back on your couch with your 13-year-old son watching these games? What goes through your mind at that time? Um, we we talk football a little bit, but mostly we just we just watch it. Um, you know, everything. I watch a little bit of it as a fan and a little bit of it as a coach. Every once in a while, I, I jot down some some uh, notes of things I see. You know, it's. I try to I try to have fun and, and uh, remove myself from the football world just for that afternoon, which yeah. I think I did a good job yesterday. Good job, and 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 now it's no more chocolate chip breakfast, and now it's on to the New Orleans Saints and back what, to work. Yeah, now it's, it's and the Rams had some success moving the football against them. What do you see when you see the Saints, Bill? Well, um, you know, I, I think you look at the numbers statistically how. Um, They've done a nice job stopping the run. You know, nothing happens in a vacuum. As we know, they're, they're moving the ball and scoring points on the other side of the ball. So so that also, you know, they're able to put other offenses under pressure a little bit as a team. So we understand that. And I thought the Rams had some good runs against them. But, you know, then I also thought the Rams did a nice job coming back. And getting back in the game after the thirty-five to fourteen, I just I think I think uh, the Saints do a nice job up front getting pressure. They've got some good players. Uh, you know, I think they're, they're working hard, as you could see from the uh, the trade for for the corner Eli Apple. You know, they're they're trying to 
get everything in place around it to be a balanced defense. And, you know, when you're playing from from the lead, which they are a lot, then they're able to dictate a little bit. So I, I, I think I think we just spent a whole week, really, or more than a week, looking at ourselves, Adam, more than anything else. I think when you're right in the middle of the season with the bye week, it's, it really comes at a good time. You've put enough things in eight games on, on video to really know who you are and study that. And you know, our, our number one thing before we ever looked at the Saints, and even even with some of what we practiced today, was to deal with us and what do we need yeah. to do to get better. And uh, I, I'm hoping we look back at this bye week and say we, we got that accomplished and we, we became a better team. Bill, your offense seems different this year. It seems very productive. It seems consistent. It seems like it has improved from other years. What, in your mind, has been the biggest difference to your unit? Well, I think every year is a new year in this league. I think you learn that at some point. You love for things to carry over, and some of our players obviously have, but you got to approach every year as a new year. So when when you hit the meeting rooms in April and the grass, uh, with the players and you can start working on things you have to work in my opinion at a frantic pace as far as every moment you have together is critical to building what you what you're going to need to get through the season i thought our guys did a great job with that i think a, a red zone throw we threw versus air in may when we're not allowed to go offense versus defense yet that throw between the quarterback on the back line with the receiver now has shown up in a game mm-hmm. you know and those kind of things uh, are hard sometimes to keep perspective on when you are out there in may on on the grass by yourselves but i thought our guys did a great job doing that for the whole off season all the way through training camp and it's starting to pay off mm-hmm. you know, i think when you when you look at what we are offensively today, there are a whole lot of things statistically that we're just average in. But we're scoring points, I think, because we're able to finish drives with touchdowns and we're able to score in critical situations. And right now we're we're scoring touchdowns in the red zone and we're scoring at the end of the half and at the end of the game, you know, especially in some, some really clutch situations. And, you know, when, when you can hit those critical times, because so many of these NFL games are – just so tight at the end and uh, we've got some guys who are stepping up and making the plays at the end we've really had showed great poise in those situations now you say you're average in a lot of different areas what's the one area that you think you'd like this offense to improve in in the second half of the season we we need to eliminate the number of three and outs that we're having mm. we, we, when you look at a whole bunch of our games we've gone through phases of being really explosive and scoring points you know we've we've had i believe at least two games where we've scored touchdowns on four straight drives in the first half. And then we have lulls where we go through a, a you know, a section of the game where we're not moving the ball, let alone scoring. And we've got to do a great job, I think. And, and we've talked about it. We focused on some specifics that can get us through it, but we, we've got to eliminate those three and outs, I think, not only for us, but, but for the whole team. Now, what about Andy Dalton, his demeanor this season? especially late in games, has seemed different. And you mentioned the team has scored in clutch situations in the red zone. What's been the biggest difference in his play? Well, I, from my perspective, Adam, I don't see his demeanor as different. I think our production maybe is different than other times I've been here. But, but Andy brings a great calm. Andy brings confidence to our players because he doesn't change. You know, He gets in those positions, and, and he's going to go out and operate. And I, I think it affects everyone when he approaches those drives like, hey, let's go, this is what we can do, and, and we know how to do it. And now that we've proven it, mm-hmm. it's uh, it's kind of fun to watch. I'm, I'm really proud of how they approach it. But to me, uh, it's really critical with the quarterback that the coordinator, the quarterback coaches, the quarterback, that, that, that they're all on the same page mm-hmm. and that we've communicated over time to Andy, hey, when we call these this pass play, this is what we're trying to get accomplished, yeah. and a guy like Andy, who who now has a lot of a lot of skins on the wall, he's seen a lot, he's done a lot, he could do so many things. But when the quarterback understands, hey, this is what the play caller is trying to get done, I'll get it done. I might have some options on the play if certain guys are one on one. Hey, I have the green light to take it. But as long as he understands what we're trying to get done on each and every play, then he can play fast, he can play decisively, throw it. And I think right now he knows, well, 
even if I don't get the big shot on this play, take the completion, move forward, I'm going to get another chance. Yeah. Uh, but he's, he's playing very decisively. He's throwing the ball accurately. And uh, he's probably also uh, increased his production at times when he's had to leave the pocket or uh, make something happen. And that's that's a bonus, too. Bill, now, earlier on Monday, Marvin Lewis said that A.J. Green does not need surgery, but I think he is going to miss some time here. And if he does miss some time, how do you replace a guy like A.J. Green? Well, I, I can't predict what's going to happen yep. uh, with A.J., but I know this. when In this league, when a guy goes down, <clears throat> it takes everybody to pick up the slack. And we come out of the Tampa game going into the bye feeling good about the momentum we gained in the run game, and that always helps. It helps not only move the ball, keep the chains moving, and score points, but it, it opens other things up. You know, we've we've obviously had Tyler Boyd really emerge this year as a, as a an excellent player, and we had, it's probably time anyway for other guys to do the same. Yep. it's kind of been the story. So uh, we're trying to we're trying to get the tide to go up around here so that all the boats rise. <laughs> and you know, it, it, it's it, it's never easy to replace a starting player when you have a great player it's even harder so we're not going to put it on anyone who are those young other players who need to step up here whose time has come john ross we've played john ross we've played alex erickson we've played josh malone we've played cody core they've all played yep they've all had opportunities and uh continue to and so uh I don't think there's any big secret. I think I think they're they're all going to continue to get their chance, and uh, maybe different people are rooting for different ones. But it's truly one of those situations where here's the opportunity, take it, go get it, and uh, it's kind of the way it should be, right? In well, football, that's the way Tyler Boyd has done this season. He's, no doubt, he's been no doubt. fantastic when you watch him this year. No doubt, and and more than any place I've ever been, I've seen. Uh, team's double-team a receiver here in A.J. Green. And then finally, a few weeks ago, was the first time that we've seen them double A.J. and Tyler. So I'd never been anywhere before where they doubled, too. So I guess that's a sign for Tyler that he that he's getting the respect. But the the, the reality is when, when teams look at you that way and they see maybe that Tyler's converting a lot of third downs to first downs statistically, well, they're, this is the NFL, right? So they're they're crazy for not trying to take him away. Yeah. Well, that creates opportunities for other guys, and and uh, whether it be the tight end or the running back or or the other receivers, and and we talk about it all the time in the red zone where it happens a lot. But for us now, it's happening on third down in the field also. When someone gets doubled, then the guy who's one on one has got to win, and you never know when it's going to be you. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the way we're approaching it, and that's why there's so much opportunity for all these other guys to step forward right now. Now, I want to ask you, you spent time on the staffs of legendary head coaches, Dan Reeves, Joe Gibbs, Mike Holmgren. What can you share from some of the greatest football coaches who have walked the sideline that you learned that stayed with you and helped mold you as a coach today, Bill? All, all three of the guys you mentioned, either uh, already in the Hall of Fame or, or, or most likely future Hall of Famers, they were all offensive coaches who ran the offense on the team. All of them were different. They all had a different view of how you should run the offense in the NFL. But the thing that was the same about all three of those guys is they had a very clear picture in their mind of what offensive football should be. And standing on the practice field or watching the game tape, they knew if they were getting what they thought it should be, and if not, they got it fixed. You know, they they really had a vision for this is what offense should be, and they drove the team in that direction. So I think that was that that was the one common theme I could bring from all three of those guys was, hey, when you're running the offense, you have to have a vision of what it is, and just keep pushing, and keep getting everyone to go to go in that same direction. And it's a process, and it takes a long time. And they each kind of had their own way of getting it done. Uh, but I, I've been really fortunate, Adam, mm-hmm. to be able to coach for the, the people I've coached yeah. for. You, you, you're 46, Bill. You've coached in the NFL, I believe, since 2003, correct? That's right. I had a little, a little stop off in, in the middle of that where I went to the University of Virginia. But yeah. since 2003 was my first NFL season. That's right. And who has had the biggest influence on your coaching career to date? Oh, probably my dad when we were 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade. Yeah. What, what you learned <laughs> you from know, your we dad? Used to, 
uh, I just remembered having to, you know, before the first game, sitting outside in the patio painting the helmets. Back when football was pure, you know, kind of like when I when I watched my son's eighth grade team this fall, the, the few chances I got to go see it. But <laughs> but certain things about football haven't changed. You know, the love for the game, the fact that it's going to be a physical game, and uh, you know, trying to trying to uh, to uh, be on the cutting edge of doing things the right way. But uh, I, I other than that, I, I'd say all the coaches I've worked for, you know, you. You you pull something from them, and there's certain things you say. Well, that's not me. I wouldn't do it that way. But there's the, you want to come away from every situation learning. You know, I'll give you an example. Marvin Lewis, working for him. This is uh, two and a half years now. You know, Coach Lewis, and most of the coaches I've worked for were offensive coaches before head coaches, or continued to be. And Coach Lewis obviously was a great defensive coach. But one of the things I've learned from him, he has a great overall perspective of the game. Hmm. When Coach Lewis comes and sits in the offensive staff room with us, which you know he's in and out different times during the week in our game planning, he's able to bring a perspective. I think that's taught me a lot. For example, we'll, we'll watch a defense that we're studying to, to play on film, and, and maybe they're playing a lot of uh, man coverage and pressing, and you know at some point, and we're talking about how we're going to defeat it, and, and he'll have the perspective. Of, now, don't forget, you're watching them play a particular team, and there's a reason why they're playing that defense against them. They're not going to do that against you. You know, he just brings a an overall perspective of looking at the game from a high angle and why do people do what they do. And it's it's been really educational. Aside from being a really good man. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt. I'm a Mar- that probably should come first. Yeah, I'm a Marvin Lewis fan. Great. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a good man. Me too. Hey, Bill, I really appreciate taking some time. I hope you get some more chocolate chip breakfast here in the future. Continued success in the second half of the season, and thank you for taking the time today. Uh, my pleasure, Adam. Thank you. And so there's the Bengals offensive coordinator, Bill Lazor, who was kind enough to take time out of his schedule as his team gets ready to play the New Orleans Saints on Sunday. Thank you to Coach Lazor, and a thank you to the former Browns head coach, Hugh Jackson, who we expect to see back in the league working at some coaching job sometime in the very near future. And a very special thanks to our dear friend, the man we love, Chris Mortensen, for sharing some of his thoughts on the first and second halves of the NFL season. And thank you to everybody for listening to another Adam Schefter podcast. We'll be back with another edition next week. Have a great week this week, everybody.